Hello and welcome to Roast Into Black and White Television's review show. We're currently, amongst other things, reviewing the black and white episodes of The Saint, which are unspooling, as Dave has it, on Talking Pictures TV. This has been the last one of season one, even though it wasn't the last one to go out. We're talking about The Man Who Was Lucky. I'm Guy Morgan, my co-host is David Newell, and we're going to get down into the grubby underworld in this one. It's written and directed by a man called John Gilling. Now, tell me about John Gilling, David. John Gilling, um, well, he got obviously a Saint loyalty card because uh, he directed 10 episodes um, in total. So he he would have been the go-to guy uh, to to direct this. But in my opinion, and it's actually Screenlight in the Cellar Club on Talking Pictures, um, he is behind one of Hammer's finest films, which is Plague of the Zombies. And he's also behind The Reptile. And who'd have known, these two went out on a double bill if you'd have got a chance to see them at the cinema. Plague of the Zombies and The Reptile. Tell you what, you wouldn't come away from that disappointed. But yeah, he was he was kind of like a big Hammer veteran part of like the big Hammer machine. Very, very impressive um cv i think he was one of those directors who was able to make a budget stretch because mm. plague of the zombies that's you know you've got a decimated cornish village you've got an abandoned tin mine you've got a huge uh, house full of hooray henry types you've got an all-consuming fire which always seemed to be the go-to ending for hammer films and it looks really good the color's really lush um, but it probably cost about, I don't know, about 40 quid. Which, interestingly, is the budget for Darius Dark's episode, The Dead That Walk and Skip and Play. Yes, yes. A homage to Plague of the Zombies. But returning to The Man Who Was Lucky, it's got quite a grubby feel to it. It feels like one of those Edgar Wallace theatre things or one of those gritty British B-movies, quota quickies, that were sort of mm. in the late 50s and, and 60s, even in terms of the photography, because looking at it, I thought, you know, this is slightly oddly lit. And it starts at a dog track. You know it's not going to be mostly reputable after that. And even though up until this point in the series, there have been episodes where there have been deaths, uh, you know, a murder or someone kind of like killed by accident or usually like a villain blowing themselves up, which is kind of OK. But in this one, you have the very unpleasant aspect of a man being beaten to death. Is that primetime viewing? What I wonder about that, and one of the things that I have been looking back on is that really there were some quite unpleasant things on primetime television, even in so-called children's television. There's stuff in Doctor Who that you wouldn't particularly want to see. There's an episode of Doomwatch where a woman scientist is eaten to death by rats. Admittedly, it wasn't as gory as it could have been because we didn't have a colour television. What a relief. But quite disturbing. So violence and punch-ups... Way before Quentin Tarantino, there was quite a lot of stuff about contract killers and Pinterest, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern conversation between hired killers during the 60s. Interesting thing, there was a lot of stuff that you could get away with, but not sex. Oh God, no, heavens. No, you wouldn't No, you wouldn't have that. Even in things like um, the year of the Sex Olympics. Right, Nigel Neal, yeah. 
there's not a lot of very obvious sex in that but it it struck me that because it's the 60s people were testing the boundaries and things when they moved into the 70s it seemed to get much meaner and nastier and you're moving into the sort of Sweeney and professionals territory Mm. so women featured a lot less when they did they came off a lot worse and the gangsters were even more seedy and grubby than they were in the 60s but returning to Eddie Byrne's character in The Man Who Was Lucky because he's the wrong one he's a nasty piece of work who may well when the saint is finished with him go to hang he may have been one of the last people to hang because the death penalty was probably still around. Now, the death penalty, whatever you think about it, is a very convenient and final resolution to a fiction story. Yeah, that's it. You're going to swing, mate. You're done for. And it also makes the villains increasingly desperate, so they could Mm -hmm. die in a shootout or or, or something like that. Um, It doesn't happen here. And we're not sure what happens to uh, Eddie Byrne's character. If his sentence gets commuted, I suspect he's the sort of man who might want to take his revenge on Simon Templer. So the man who gets beaten to death, his business partner is uh, played by Harry Tao. He contacts the saint and Simon Templer arrives like the knight in shining armour that he was when he was Ivanhoe and (laughs) decides to deal with Lucky by visiting his club, actually sort of swanking around, introducing himself by punching Lucky in the face for... um... Uh, Yeah, it's a very bold move. Who the devil are you? Allow me to introduce myself. Whack. And that's it. You sink crikey. Yeah, that's that's a bold move, that is. And that was in response to Lucky slapping this girl. Yes. Now, Simon Templer's attitude towards violence against women is inconsistent Hmm. when we look at things like the golden journey even though it might be last week we were talking about him spanking that poor lady yes so um it's kind of knockabout literally comedy taming of the shrew star yes you might agree that somebody should come in and teach lucky a lesson there's lots of subterfuge he manages to convince harry taub's character and delphi lawrence's character they should trust him and they work this remarkable scam which involves visiting a very camp photographer. Yes. Now, if you look at the IMDb page about the episode in question, The Man Who Was Lucky, um, in the trivia section, it says, if you listen carefully, uh, you will hear that the photographer, or I think the character's name is Maxwell, speaks with the voice of John Hurt. Um, now, this is 1962. So even at that tender age, John Hurt wouldn't have like that Benson and Hedges and Whiskey Bird voice that he had in later life. Um, So I'm not sure it's entirely accurate, but maybe this is IMDB's way of of similar to what a few years ago um, the Ordnance Survey used to do is they used to put fake things on maps to see if people were either copying them or reproducing them without their permission Uh, and so maybe putting that little piece in there that item down into i don't know john hurt's early roles on wikipedia or or turn up elsewhere um i think it's one of those imdb myths that they put out there i was surprised i was more interested in the fact that actually this is a reference to a camp character not Mm. particularly overtly but references to people of 
other persuasions, shall we put it. Particularly, yeah, the fact that he's an artist. He's been described as an artist. Yeah. We're not quite sure what sort of artist until the big showdown. The big reveal, yeah. At uh, the Glenville Hotel off the Kingston Bypass. Now, other saints, <laughs> you've had big showdowns in Rome and mm -hmm. in New York. But this was my neck of the woods. And actually, the Glenville Hotel, they walk into the bar, not that I would have known much about those sort of bars, but I know similar sorts of places. It was the area where I grew up. That looked dead right to me. It looks... Was it all like horse brasses and, and beer jugs and things like that? It's... Nasty tables. Yeah, kind of disappointed people. They're hoping something will happen and just wait they have those weird tabletops um that used to be seen be made of like beaten copper yes uh, and it looked as if someone had just been hitting it with a hammer and so when you put your, your glass down it always wobbled doesn't matter where you put it massively inconvenient um, it's like trying to sit on a triangular chair and delphi lawrence is alone at the bar presumably mm. drinking uh, a gin and tonic waiting for stuff to happen and i think maybe if that car park's on location but how many sets would you have which had arched windows and end coop on the wall yeah end coop, whatever that meant i was always baffled by that as a child i always wondered what it meant because in didn't sound like a word i thought maybe like a w had fallen off the front or an m or an m had turned upside down into w and then it had fallen off and you just think well what what's end what's end coop What's it even mean? Is it someone's name? Who is it? But, um, no, Matthew Sweet hosted a very interesting programme on Radio 3 about Soho. Soho in the 60s and Beat Girl and how really a lot of it was just so depressingly seedy. There was nothing glamorous. There was nothing particularly exciting about it except maybe the transgression of the fact that it was so remorselessly bleak. And <laughs> Um, and that sort of carries over to that home counties sort of thing, where you know there are pubs, there are people making assignations. It's like um, brief encounter, but without the glamour of the of the tea bar of the tea bar. And the man who was lucky feels like that. I mean, you start off with a dog track, you wind up with a, a protection racket. The gangsters turn the place over. Lucky beats this guy to to death you're two scared people their plan is to run away to ireland mm. the fact that eddie byrne is irish and probably could find them in ireland pretty easily doesn't seem to have occurred to them but harry taub's irish as well so he'd know where to hide um but maybe this this pub goes down on our list of or ever burgeoning list um as we suggested the other week of um pubs and bars and clubs in in film and tv that just look really horrible and you'd never want to go into yes i mean um lucky's club or bar is is pretty unconvincing as well in terms of i'd get a really low rating from me on TripAdvisor if if i went there uh you just go no sorry this is this is terrible this is a dreadful place um, awful. Although what I did like, um, you mentioned Delphi Lawrence, um, who who plays Cora, who's who's kind of like the female lead in this week's uh, um, episode. Um, we again we've mentioned as a as a sort of like a TV trope of of people lying about their ages, um, perhaps hugely underestimating um, or underestimating how old they are. 
but in this she lies um about actually being older than she really was at the time um, only by a couple of years but good on her let's have a look at the cast of the man who was lucky eddie byrne no points four saints including two as different racing car engineers one of which was in the last saint ever made with roger moore he also appeared in orlando the baron one sergeant cork in which he plays a buffalo bill type showman he also played an american soldier in an episode of overseas press club exclusive have you been watching those no but isn't he isn't he in star wars indeed he's a general um he's the one who a princess leia runs to and says oh i can't get uh, too upset about my planet being blown up because we've got work to do <laughs> Um, see, he he would have missed out on that kind of like that cash cow option of doing all those conventions. Well, sadly, I don't think he lived really to experience those. He had a very decent career. I mean, if you're just talking in television alone, there's loads of stuff. He was in two episodes of Robin Hood back in 1957. Okay. Harry Taub, and he's one of those people, he does look quite fresh-faced. He's in The Man Who Was Lucky, but he's also in a lot of things. He also appears in those adventures of Sherlock Holmes that Talking Pictures have been showing that were actually never shown in this country at the time, but were made in France which I never really understood, presumably for the American market. And he crops up as somebody who's trying to find part of a winning lottery ticket and goes to Holmes for help. And what I believe is Lost Series, Steve Hunter Trouble Merchant. He sounds like he's going to be a handful. He, sound, he sounds more tougher than Crash Fist Fight. There doesn't appear to be that much description of what the series is about on IMDb. It predates The Saint. It would be interesting if anyone remembers that. I'd quite like to know what Steve Hunter Trouble Merchant had to sell and who his customers were. Yes, yeah. And did he have a shop? You know, did he have a barrow, you know, a stall at a market? I think he might have had a lorry. And so Oh, yes. Yeah, that would have been better. And then um, he'd be able to deliver sackloads of trouble. Yeah, you'd just hear that. You'd hear the lovely chimes at the end of the road and you just go oh great steve's coming round oh quickly and have we got an old trouble container that we used the last time and um, we'll just give it him back and we'll get a little bit of a discount like a corona pot bottle <laughs> is one of my saint actors who i've seen live on stage really what in in the early or well, the mid 80s um i went to see the uh, premiere west end production a little shop of horrors with original broadway star ellen green um, and Harry Tao plays Mr. Mushnick, the flower shop owner. Mushnick and son, that's that. Officially, I'm your brat. Because I just thought, hey, he's the guy who gets chewed out by George C. Scott in Patton. Uh, until you realise that's that's a real vague description, because George C. Scott chews out everyone in Patton and shoots a donkey. Uh, so there's, you know, there's that, that's not much to go on. Uh, but I just thought, wow, yeah, it's the guy out of um, Patton. Um, and Little Shop of Horrors great um, production at the comedy theater um, and right at the very end the big shock um, surprise with with the finale song don't feed the plants is you had a vine drop down into your lap <gasps> we're all scared hopefully you weren't bursting to go to the loo <laughs> <laughs> yeah harry Tao. he has one avengers point if i remember rightly but also he appears a couple of times in callan he's a regular stalwart and we salute him who else have we got? Campbell Singer is the first Inspector Teal. 
Campbell Singer sounds like either a car or a sewing machine. You know, if you say, oh, I've got a brand new Campbell Singer. Great. That's brilliant. That's lovely. How's it handled? He was also very busy. He probably couldn't come back as Inspector Teal because Ivy Dean tended to take mm. that over. I think somebody else actually also s- stepped in. But he must have been busy because he was in 201 episodes of The Newcomers. <gasps> he does crop up as a Secret Service bod in a colour episode of The Saint. He was also in One May Grey and loads of other stuff. But more importantly, he has two Avengers points. Never seen to change his appearance. Always, you know, bald with a moustache. And yeah. that's, that's what you get. Vera Day, she doesn't have any points. Uh, but she was in a few things in the 60s before a 34-year break from the screen, returning to appear in Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and The Bill. Oh, wow. Crikey. That's a that's a big build-up yeah, to, to a appear in those. It's a good return, isn't it? Um, mm. Now, the Avengers episode Killer also has Charles Houston, who's in this episode of The Saint, and he's in another four Saints. Uh, he also appears in The Champions and Danger Man, the Baron, and he obviously had the legs for both William Tell and the adventures of Robin Hood, but not to mention oh, the Buccaneers. He was obviously extremely busy in the 60s. Nicholas Selby, one Avengers point, 48 episodes of Compact, and an appearance in The Strange Report and The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes. Uh. Um, John Forbes Robertson, half a point, one May Grey, a Jason King. Ah, but- John Forbes Robinson did play Dracula as well. He's, he's Dracula in Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Um, because at the time, because obviously Peter Cushing is in it, um, and it was hoped that um, Christopher Lee um, would be in it, but he was getting a bit sniffy um, at that point and didn't want anything to do with it. So the casting call went out and just said, just get us a tall bloke. Um, and so John Forbes Robertson filled the part. He's not in it for long, I'll admit. Not in it for long at all. But yeah, he is he is the villain. He is Dracula. Is that the one with vampires meet Kung Fu? Yes, absolutely. Um, by Sir Run Run Shaw. Hammer thrills and Kung Fu spills. Talking of which, John Sullivan has lots of stunt arranging throughout the industry. He was probably in the fight scenes and in the trashing of that office. Mm. Arthur Howell, three points. Plus Man in a Suitcase, Danger Man, uh, and one uncredited appearance in Doctor Who, which was, I think, the last Patrick Troughton set of adventures. Keith Denny, 12 Saints, then moved into costume and wardrobe, working on Full Metal Jacket, Good Morning Vietnam, and The Killing Fields. So that was oh, wow. Bill Hibbert, five points, plus the champions, the prisoner, and Danger Man. As I've said before, this wasn't the last episode of season one to be broadcast, uh, but it ends season one on Talking Pictures TV. And then, ignoring the nine months spent in production, we move seamlessly straight on to season two on Sunday with The Fellow Traveller. Look out for Ray Austin. Come on, Guy, wrap it up. I want to see Plague of the Zombies. It's on the Cellar Club tonight. Oh, bloody hell, it's 15 minutes. Yes, we must get going. Yeah, it's talking about Ray Austin, stunt arranger for episodes of The Avengers, appeared in a couple, directed two, plus seven new Avengers, and a legend on both sides of the Atlantic. And if he directed an episode of anything, you could expect a punch-up. So, fair play to Ray Austin, who you can catch on Sunday, probably, as Man in Bar or something, unless Mm. he hits somebody. Punching Man in Bar. 
Right. Okay, that wraps up the review show for The Man Who Was Lucky, the end of season one of The Saint. This has been episode seven, the review part of Rose Tinted Black and White Television. I'm Guy Morgan. My co-host has been Dave Newell. And as The Saint stretches forward to the crack of doom, we will continue doing this. So see you next week, Dave. I must remember that each time I wave over Zoom, you actually don't pick it up on radio. No. Don't turn off yet. We're about to play Dave's homage to John Gilling's Plague of the Zombies, starring the much-missed Paul Bushel. And as it's coming up to ten years since we lost him, it's well worth another listen. Enjoy. Radio 6 International Worldwide Syndication Between the years of 1925 and 1939, Great Britain was on the brink of destruction by supernatural forces on no less than 13 occasions. I know. I was there for 12 of them. My name is Saul Abercrombie, and you've never heard of me, but I dare say that you have heard of whom I worked for. Darius Dark, Supernatural Detective! Memoirs of Darius Dark, Episode 3, The Dead Who Walk, and Skip and Play. This is a life, Abbas. A quiet drive in the country. You bloody idiot! That was a little closer. Right, closer. Come on, Abbas, take your hands away from your eyes. You're missing all of nature's bounty. I'm quite right, sir. It's important we relax after good old Blinky asked us down for the weekend. That was a chance to get in some fine hunting. Deer, grouse, a few pheasant. And that Dartmoor pony, sir. Now, that was an act of kindness. A wild animal like that. Lame, injured. Surely, sir, it was only lame and injured because you'd shot it in the first place. And the second and third place. It was grouping like that made me the regimental champion marksman. Thankfully, sir, you only shot his lordship's man, wainscoting, the once. Ah, that was a damn shame. He's a plucky chap, mind. Didn't complain and still managed to serve as sherry afterwards on the veranda. That's dedication for you, Abbas. You can't buy that sort of loyalty. Fork in the road. Now, which way to take? Hmm, Padstow, ten miles, Tunlow, one mile. What's the old board locks say? Uh, Padstow, a queer, busy place, so delightfully situated that it possesses every necessary qualification as a holiday resort. The town has a fair sprinkling of shops, a useful institute with billiard and recreation and reading rooms, a county library, grammar school, cinema, concert hall, and Masonic Hall. And Tarnlow? Uh, it's simply described as being 11 miles from Padstow, sir. Mm, is that it? Well, I've always extolled the virtues of the underdog. Tarnlow it is! A little odd, sir. Not a soul about. I'm sure there's an explanation. And no birdsong either. 
Abbas, you're seeking mystery where none is to be found. Our weekends away can't be like the premiere all the time. There you go. School's just finishing and soon this whole square will be teeming with children and berating parents. One school, one child, sir. Steady, Abbas. None of that bullshit talk here. You there, young fellow, my lad. Yes, sir. What's your name? Saul, sir. Saul Triscothic. That's my name, too. What? Saul, sir. Saul? Is it really? Yes, sir. You're not just saying it to make the boy feel at ease? You know it's my name, sir. I informed you when you took me on. Saul, eh? Well, I'll be blowed. Still, too late in the day for me to start using it now. See here, young chap. Where are all your school chums? They've, they've gone to a better place. Padstow Grammar? No, sir. I, I think Saul means they passed on. Am I right? Yes, sir. I'm very sorry, Saul. Still, you seem all right. You're an awfully big strapping chap for a schoolboy, if you don't mind my saying. You'd make a good prop. This is Cornwall, sir. There ain't a flat enough patch of land to use round here as a rugby pitch. I was thinking less the first 15 and more something that might shore up a mineshaft ceiling, actually. I imagine you must be very lonely in the school, Saul. I reckon. In other ways, it's easier. Sometimes, before, the others would call me names on account of me being so tall. Children can be very cruel. They call me Tall Saul. And in this case, very unimaginative. Saul, you be on your way home. Don't be talking to strangers. We're hardly strangers, miss. And who are you? I don't recognise you. Not some other fool after Captain Mad Jack Hook. You'll be disappointed. That's all local nonsense, I can tell you. Captain Mad Jack Hook? Captain Mad Jack Hook? Really? Go on, Abbas. This, madam, is Mr. Darius Duck. And the rest? Supernatural detective. I'm his man, Abercrombie. And who might you be, young lady? Prudence Kernow, schoolmistress. You'll get along home, Saul. Yes, Miss Kernow. I suppose you'd like us to be on our way as well. That would suit me fine. I assure you, Mr. Dark, with the loss of its children, Tarnlow has seen enough tragedy recently for a lifetime. The less people know, the better. How do you cope with only one pupil? Take him washing? Some farm labouring? Mr. Dark, allow me the courtesy of being forward. Something you're probably not used to from a woman. I've only known you a matter of minutes and already I know you represent that muddle-headed male traditionalism that until this year prevented me and women like me from getting the right to vote. Vote? Good God. When did that happen? I'm sorry, Miss Kernow, if we caused any offence. Uh, we're only passing through, and uh, perhaps you could tell us of an inn. We'd like to rest a while. Far side of the square, the Trout and Fox. And be quick about it, Mr Abercrombie. There's nothing here for you. There's nothing for anyone. Come on, sir. A spot of luncheon will do us some good. Can't get what she said out of my head. You mean what happened to the other children? No, the vote! What were they thinking? Afternoon, sirs. What can I get you both? Firstly, two pints of your finest Cornish beer, and secondly, a couple of rooms. We're stopping, sir. What that raving harpy of a schoolmistress told us was like a red rag to a bull. I think there is a mystery hereabouts, Abbas. Rooms, sir? I don't know about that. Pretty much high season. 
You pay him no attention, sir. We got a room if you don't mind sharing. Becca, I said that. We're moving on, Daniel. We got over for the sake of the boy. That'd be young Saul. Yes, sir. Our eldest and our only child now after the loss of young Tom. Daniel, don't. No, I, I'm all right. I'm sorry, sir. Losing a child the way we did, it was very hard and I'm a bit sensitive about it. No trouble, old chap. I know what it's like to lose someone close. Old Blackie was the most loyal of golden retrievers. But I dare say losing a child is worse. How much worse would you say? Really, sir, I, I, I'd rather not... But if you had to put a figure on it, losing a child or losing a dog, scale of one to ten. One being the worst, and... Uh, no, wait a minute. One being all right, a bit like losing a sock or something, and ten being really bad. What would you say? Very difficult. And it's not like something you can forget either, so the pain would be there all the time, gnawing away at you, so it wouldn't be like losing a sock really at all, because there's always other socks. Well, what number? It's all the same, sir. You keep it to yourself, old chap. Saw fellows in the war having a fearsome trouble coming to terms with the loss of either a friend, a limb, or a head. So I'll leave you to it, but I pray, don't bottle it up. If you ever wish to talk about losing your child in what I'm sure was a horrible manner, you can always have a chat with me. Habers, let's find a table. I'm very sorry for your loss, sir. For pity's sake, Abercrombie! Leave the man alone with his grief! Good evening, Daniel. Pint of the usual. Are you feeling all right? You look a little upset. Fine, sir. Dr. Belladen, thank you for asking. I'll bring this over. Thank you. Uh, do excuse me. Can I sit with you? Please do. You don't sound local. Village doctor, Hugh Bellhaven. Darius Dark, supernatural detective. Really? What brings you to Tarnlow? Mystery and intrigue. Or mystrigue, as I prefer to call it. That, and the fact I don't like billiards. We were just driving through, Dr. Bellhaven. But in the short time we've been here, there seems to be a palpable whiff of tragedy in the air. Very well expressed, Abercrombie. The loss of the village children was a suffering more than most people could bear. Look. My cottage isn't far from here. Perhaps we could talk. Capital. But first, I think I owe an apology. Look, I'm a traveller here, passing through. I don't know of your ways and customs, but if I've caused offence, then I apologise. Perhaps you'll allow me to make some small amends by buying everyone a drink. <laughs> Daniel, crammed them on all around. Uh, just this way, Mr. Dark. Quickly. Steady there, Lucas. These guests. What a lovely dog, Bellhaven. Don't let him jump up, sir. He's got frightfully solid paws. Who's a good dog, eh? Sorry about the dirt. We went for a walk down near the cliffs before. There's very little to do here now. All seems so innocuous when things started going wrong. Children's bicycles being stolen. That's how it started. If you don't mind me asking, Dr. Bellhaven, what did happen here? I'm a man of medicine, and I can't testify what disease took the lives of these children. I felt so... so helpless. Uh, and what about the other doctors? The hospital at Padstow? The same. All we could do was watch them die. It was horrible. I've travelled about a bit, and I never thought I'd see something like that in my own country. From the souvenirs in your cottage, you appear to have travelled quite extensively. North America, South America, and everything that lies in between, I guess. <laughs> Mr. Dark and Lucas seem to have made friends. Perhaps you'd like to throw him a stick. I don't believe Mr. Dark would consider retrieving it. Oh, you meant Lucas. 
Don't worry about that, Mr. Dark. I'll clear it up afterwards. I'm sure old Lucas is grateful for the company. <laughs> this is more than gratitude. Pull him off me, Abbas! And there's no explanation for what has gone on here? Mr. Dark, I'm not just a simple-minded local doctor. I went to university. Oh, well done. Edinburgh. Oh, bad luck. But I can find no sane reason for what went on here. What still goes on if you talk to old Jem at the inn? If it's possible for a place to be cursed, then I believe Tarnlow is such a place. You've piqued my interest, Bellhaven. Tell me all. Get down, down Lucas! Lucas! Mr. Dark, have you ever heard of Captain Mad Jack Hook? What an incredible tale, Abercrombie. Pirates, curses, zombies, a hot air balloon chase. I don't think there was any mention of hot air balloons, sir. Wasn't there? I think I drifted off towards the end, truth be told. Lucas woke me up when he started licking my face. Oh, that's certainly where he finished licking you, sir. And he's made a dreadful mess with his paws. First thing we need to do when we get you upstairs, sir, is to get those trousers off. Good evening, Daniel. Dr. Bellhaven was able to fill us in as regards Tarlow's recent history. Bet you hear it from a man of medicine, I guess. Wouldn't have believed it from us otherwise. Our children fall into comas and their little hands turn into tiny claws and finally their life slipping away. But Bellhaven said there was more. That old Jem might tell us. Old Jem? His mind's addled with cider, sir. I'll be the judge of that. Who here is old Jem? Ah, that can be me. Ah, old Jem. What have you seen? Hey, how you saying? Crawl around by the sheets. Really? Walking around like your eye? Hey, 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 Thank you, old Jem. Daniel, a pint of whatever he's drinking and place it on my bill. Abbas? Maybe we should have told them about Captain Mad Jack Oak and his curse, about Jack's hole. Told them everything, Daniel. <laughs> Would they believe us? <laughs> no. I wouldn't either. Say what you like about the countryside, Abbas, but this place is steeped in danger as much as London. And the similarities don't end there. It's a proper pea super tonight. I can't see three inches beyond those windows. The shutters are still closed, sir. Ah. All the better to see what nemesises prowl these cobblestones. It's like the pieces of a puzzle all scattered on the floor. Perhaps there because they have been thrown by a disappointed child who craved a small bore rifle rather than some tedious jigsaw as a birthday present. You're speaking from experience, sir? Uh, no. Sir, I could swear I just saw a small child scurrying across the square. In a village with no children, that is worth noting. Abbas, the Purdy. Do you think it might warrant a gun, sir? Take no chances when you don't know what the unknown is. Where did he get to? Confound it. We've looked everywhere. Except behind you. It's way past your bedtime, Sonny. Sir, observe his claw-like hands. And who are you? It doesn't matter, Mr. Dark, because I'm going to dance a jig upon your soul after I've ripped out your heart. I don't think so, you young nipper! Gracious, sir! Did you strike a child with the butt end of your purdy? Oh, Abbas, you old nanny, it's all right. It wasn't loaded. Uh, 
Let's get this child into the light. Here, what's your game, you can't... Lord, it's Tom. Your youngest. Becca! Becca! Donald Truscothic, all this yelling, it's enough to wake the dead. Oh, Tom! Thomas! This is your son? The one you said died? Yes, he caught that wretched disease that turned his tiny little hands into claws, that took his life away. And now he's back with us, but with a broken jaw. What sort of monsters are there that would do such a thing, sir? Hmm. <clears throat> Good question. Abbas? I couldn't possibly guess, sir. Uh, look, we'll get Belhaven. Have your son attended to. He'll be fine. Sir, before you go, you should know the truth. The truth? There used to be a pirate hereabouts, sir. Captain Mad Jack Hook, they called him. No hands. Two hooks, razor sharp. He buried his treasure somewhere in the caves along the cliffs, in a place called Jack's Hole. We thought it was all legend, but then the children, their tiny hands becoming like claws, hooks if you like. Then passing over, it's his curse, his blight upon us. Rumour has it, his ghost still walks the cliffs, searching, searching for his accursed gold. Pirates? My dear man, the Royal Navy would never allow such a thing. You tend to your son. Abbas, we'll get the doctor. Interesting what Daniel said. Are you thinking what I'm thinking, Abbas? That maybe someone believes these legends of Captain Mad Jack Hook and his treasure and has taken to searching for it. I just wondered how the chap went to the toilet with hooks for hands. <sighs> Still, what you say might hold water. There could be a library at the school. Yes, sir, but that would hardly be accurate naval records. I doubt the big book of the sea for boys will be much help. Really? I swear by it. But wait! Looks like someone reckons to my idea. That light inside the school! It's very nearly midnight, sir. Who could it be? I'll get Belhaven and you find out who the wee willy winky is. Besides, couldn't abide looking at the glowering countenance of that schoolteacher again. I think she's on the fast side. Meet back at the inn, Abbas! Belhaven? Belhaven! It's dark! Outside! What the... Lucas! Oh. Lucas, come back! Oh, bell book and bloody candle. Mr. Abercrombie? Uh, oh. Miss Colonel. I reckon you're here the same reason as I. Did you see the light as well? Yes. I did think it a little odd. Have you found anything? I was about to look in the last classroom. If you care to join me. <gasps> My God. Good evening, Miss Kernow. I don't suppose it would do any good to ask them all to stand in the corner. I know I come across as fiercely independent, but would you consider it awfully traditional if I let out a scream? I think I might join you, Miss Kernow. For pity's sake, Lucas. You've led me a proper dance all the way down to the beach, and now these caves. Belhaven will play merry hell with you. And you're off again, like you've seen a ghost. Hello? Who's there? Reveal yourself. I should tell you now that I have in my pocket my trusty... Blast, forgot the Webley. I have in my pockets uh, seven Craven A cigarettes, the automobile safety matches, a pipe cleaner, and a packet of aniseed twists. So be warned. <laughs> and who might you be? 
You remember my name, Mr. Dark. For you see it carved upon your heart afore ye die. For I be the ghost of Captain Mad Jack Ugh. <laughs> Just plain mad for short, I'll warrant. Or perhaps I could call you by your real name. Dr. Hugh Bellhaven. Damn your eyes, man. How could you possibly know? Abercrombie tipped me off as regards that clay residue on the paws of your dog. You let slip about your extensive travelling, which included the Caribbean, where you no doubt unearthed information as regards Captain Mad Jack Hook. Your medical knowledge allowed your disposal of the children, and additional Caribbean voodoo folklore would explain their zombie-like state. Except young Saul, who would be too ungainly for the smaller caves, and besides, I've never been formally introduced to a Captain Mad Jack Hook, so only someone I had already met would know my name. I suppose your precious Abercrombie helped you piece it all together. He may have insinuated, postulated, theorised and guessed, but I put two and two together. Oh, there's still some gaps in the narrative, but that will all come out in the court case. Such as the children, the missing bikes. I learned the legend of Jack's Hole, but didn't have the resources to access the nooks and crannies of this labyrinth beneath the cliffs. With my small army of slaves, digging away and the rest, peddling their own stolen bicycles to power dynamos to light the tunnel. They'll dig, and they'll find Jack's hole and make me a rich man. And you think you can get away with it thanks to those peddling kids? You know, of course, Bellhaven, that you're completely insane. Oh, it's very easy and convenient for you to call me mad, isn't it, Mr. Dark? Nut, crackpot, lunatic, corribant, bedlamite, mooncalf. Yes, you're right, Bellhaven, it is easy. I could do this all day. Let me tell you that all men of vision and scope must endure mocking. Did they call Napoleon mad? Nero? Newton? Ah, uh, yes. Yes. And in the last case, a buffon-wigged, cream-faced loon. But only behind his back. Enough! It's time for the last chapter in the exploits of Darius Dark, supernatural detective. But don't ever accuse me of unsportsmanlike behaviour. Cutlasses, Mr. Dark. My weapon of choice. I should warn you, I fenced at Oxford. Fine. I killed in the Caribbean. Where's Mr. Dark? Why isn't he here? Isn't there anything you can do? After the Clanfire Peckin incident, I'd swore I'd never harm another child, no matter what the supernatural circumstances. What a bloody good you are. When you've quite finished those practice swings against that shovel, maybe we can start. Very well. On guard! You fight well, Dark! I win even better! Yield, you cur! I'm not the dog to lie down, roll over and have his tummy tickled. Mr. Dark! Sir! Ah, I was with the relief column, it looks like. Far from it. My army of the night. Hugh! You! True, Prue. Who do, Hugh? Voodoo, Prue! <laughs> if you excuse me, Miss Kernow, Mr. Abercrombie. I have to remove Mr. Dark's head from his body. I'd watch your footing there, Bellhaven. Jack's hole! I found the entrance. Thanks to your fighting, Mr. Dark, we've been forced into this unexplored cave. How opportune. Perhaps as reward, I won't kill you so slowly. Any last words? Rotting timbers? People say that pit is bottomless. There's another myth dispelled this evening. Hello. It appears that the spell is broken. Hey, 
there, James Penhalligan. You just be quiet. Miss Colonel, I want to go home. A sentiment shared, young chap. can thank you. From what the police say, that treasure of Captain Mad Jack Hooks is the villagers to keep. Put it to good use. Doctors over at Padstow said the children should be right as ninepence in a week. To have them back, hearing their laughter. Pity is, I'll never get my hands on that swine belly from breaking young Tom's jaw. Uh, yes. <clears throat> well, you can't have everything, Daniel. Revenge is a dish best served with shabbly, I've always found. If ever you need me again, just call. I'm in the phone book. No one here with a telephone to make a call, Mr. Dark. Then perhaps that money could go towards putting Tarnlow on the telecommunications map. I reckon this village has a future after all, Mr. Dark. I'm a man of imagination, Daniel. I often contemplate the future. And this future, Mr. Dark, would it involve a rather forceful, but at heart, kind and grateful rural schoolmistress? Afraid not. More to do with Surrey becoming a first-class gouty side. There is something you could do for me, though, Miss Kernow. I know we've had our differences, but may I ask a favour of you? Of course, anything. What? Young Lucas here needs a good home. It's not his fault he had a cruel master, and besides, those five hours of police questioning revealed he knew nothing. I'd be honoured, Mr. Dark. Oh, Lucas! Farewell, brave Tarnlow! Who'd have thought it, sir? A county steeped in legend like Obby Oss, the Devil's Dandy Dogs, Munnions, and Shoney, and we discover quite a modern mystery. I spoke to the doctor from Padstow. Bellhaven induced a disease known as Generine Sotus Syndrome, which turns people's hands claw-like. The rest was voodoo trickery he picked up in the Caribbean, making even the most expert medical staff assume the children had died, then inducing the children to work for him. I think we've done some good this weekend, sir. Indeed we have, Abbas. Indeed we have. But this mystery isn't all such a neatly wrapped package. But, sir, if Captain Madjack Hook's treasure has been recovered, the children have been returned, and Belhaven is the victim of his own greed and insanity. What loose ends are there? Captain Madjack Hook himself. We never did discover how he was able to undertake his ablutions with hooks for hands. Oh. I've been thinking about this. Possibly some sort of absorbent garment. Uh, or a very willing and loyal crewman. Uh, who sir, would be forced to, sir, having swapped the decks and undertaking these duties, would go into the closet. Yes, yeah, all right, sir, I've got the and would Oh look, a rabbit.
dead who walk and skip and play, Paul Bushell played Darius Dark, supernatural detective. Charles Davis was his man, Abercrombie. Carol Ann Reed played Miss Prudence Kerno and Becca. David Newell played Daniel and Dr. Bellhaven. The children were played by members of the Flying Ducks Theatre Company, Haxby, York. Other parts were played by members of the cast. The episode was written by David Newell and produced by Guy Morgan for Radio 6 International. Copyright 2009.